Well, uh, good evening again. And uh, I would normally say something at the end about how much we enjoyed our time here. I do not want to interfere with anything the Lord would want to do at the end. So let me just take a couple of minutes and let's just say thank you for having us. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, thank you for the encouraging words. Uh, we've really enjoyed ourselves being here. We're refreshed spiritually. We're encouraged for the, the work that's, that's ahead of us. And let, let me just say on behalf of my wife and myself that we're, we're privileged to be here. Thank you so much. Tonight I want to look at a story which is found in John chapter 21. I've entitled this message Net 3.0, which is very cryptic, of course, and all the geeks in the house will be very pleased tonight. So if you're here, you're going to enjoy it tonight. Sorry for the rest of you. <laughs> it is a play on words, so let, let me explain that from the beginning. Now, many of you may be familiar with the phrase Web 2.0. Now, for, for those of you that are not, let me just take a moment that to explain. It's completely irrelevant to anything spiritual, but let me, since we're talking about the title of the message, uh, it, it, it refers to the internet or the web or the net, okay? Those are interchangeable terms. And Web 2.0 was sort of a revision or evolution in the world of uh, internet and what it brought to the internet and to technologies. So I'm using the word net and web interchangeably because we're going to look at a story about nets tonight and fishing and fish. So it's a play on words, but it's 3.0. And hopefully by the end of the message, it'll make sense why it's 3.0. So I hope I got your curiosity so far. For the rest of you that are still awake, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. So we'll begin tonight with John chapter uh, 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll look, flip at a couple of passages before we get there. But let me offer a uh, hypothetical situation, and let's just see what we think about this. If you went out to dinner somewhere, just your favorite place to eat, and all they had in the menu was broiled fish and bread, what would you think about that choice? What would you think about what you're offered for, for dinner? Just, just shout out, just anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally wouldn't be impressed. I'd personally say, is that all you got? <laughs> I drove all the way here and all you got is broiled fish and bread. I, I, I'm not impressed with that. And yet we're going to look at a story tonight, a dining experience of the disciples and Jesus. And that's all there was on the menu. But it will be more significant in their lives, and I believe in ours, if we understand what that means for us, that really changed their lives. After the resurrection, we see that the disciples go back to their, to their old life, to, to whatever they were doing before the resurrection. They were a little confused about what had happened with Jesus. They were hoping that he would become the king and he would rule physically on, on this earth, which is not what, they, what, what happened. And so when he went to the cross, they were really... Uh, confused about what had happened, and uh, uh, although he had been telling them over and over again that that's what he was doing, and yet we see that they, they, they find themselves going back to, to fishing. Most of them were fishermen, not all his disciples were fishermen, but most of them were. But before we, we flip to John chapter um, 21, I want to look at the first 
time that Jesus encounters his disciples in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So after Jesus began his ministry, we see him interacting with his disciples in their habitat, which happens to be the fishing business. But Jesus was going to use this symbology to teach us about spiritual things. So in Luke chapter 5, we read another story with nets and fishes. In verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genezareth. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered one of the ships that was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for, for a draught. And Simon answering him said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And they had, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. Have you ever heard the term breaking the internet? <laughs> Jesus did this 2,000 years ago. Their net broke. And he didn't even post a picture or a video, or, you know? All right. <laughs> a little geeky tonight. I'm sorry. I, I understand. <laughs> so now we, we go to John chapter 21. That's, that's our, our, our story, okay? And we begin at the first verse. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on the wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Demetrius, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and late night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple which Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, the fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. For all there were so many, yet 
was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples dares ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Then Jesus cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. It is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. It's a very interesting story, something that happened after the resurrection. This is the third time that Jesus appeared unto his disciples after the resurrection. And so they have this, this little moment about the fish and the net and a meal that they shared together. And so this was what their, their meal. Jesus had brought fish and bread. And it tells them after he does a miracle and multiplies the fishes to bring also the fishes from, from the net. Now, even though historically this is a true and accurate story, it is more than that. Because as we will see, these are some symbols that God uses throughout the Bible to teach us spiritual things. And so my goal tonight is for us to hopefully understand some of these and what do they mean beyond the historical application. But what do they mean for us today in a practical application and in the sense of the doctrinal charge that the Lord will have us as church, as members of his body to do? Now, communication in networks requires three things. If, you, if you're going to have two computers talk to each other, you need three things. You need a destination, commonly called an IP address. You need a protocol. What language are we going to speak? How are we, and how are we deciphering the zeros and ones? And finally, you need a port number. Uh, let me explain this in more familiar terms. Let's say you want to communicate with someone. You go to their house. That would be the destination or the address. And next, you want to know how are we going to communicate. So if you live here, you're going to use English. That's the, the, the protocol. And finally, you go to a specific door, you knock on the door, and somebody comes out, and you communicate with them. Well, there are 65,535 ports on a computer. A completely useless statistics, of course. But first of all, you need a destination. And we spiritually need a destination. A destination has to do with wisdom. Do we know where we're going? And, we, and if so, how do we get there? It seems as if the disciples were very confused about what had happened with Christ. And they just returned to their old jobs after the resurrection. And even though this is the third time that Jesus appears unto them after the resurrections, it seems like they have lost focus of their vision. They didn't see the risen Christ clearly. And out of all the disciples, only John recognizes him. And he tells Peter that it's the Lord. And even what had happened uh, after they finally recognized him after they had thrown their nets and he had multiplied the fishes, something that they had experienced before. In verse 7, it says, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. That's probably where the sailors get the bad reputation from. I'm not sure, but... Uh, and he did cast himself in, into the sea. So, Jesus had appeared to his disciples prior to this story. In Luke chapter... 
24, two of his disciples are going to a nearby village called Emmaus, nearby Jerusalem. And so they're, they're walking, and all they're talking about was Jesus because the whole town was disturbed by the events of what had happened with Jesus' crucifixion. So they're talking about this, and Jesus comes right alongside them. He accompanies them, and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And it's like, who are you? They don't know that it was Jesus. Their eyes don't recognize him, the risen Christ. And, he sa- and they say unto him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Because everybody is talking about this. What happened to this guy? And so in verse 21, they make a confession. They say, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, to, to, today is the third day since these things were done. So they were hoping that it would be him which would redeem Israel. He was the one, but they were confused. They couldn't see the risen Christ. And then in verse 25 says, And he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I would have loved to have been there and have Jesus open up the word from the Moses and all the prophets and to show them, this verse applies to me, this verse applies to me. How are you confused about what happens? They had lost focus of their destination. And after he did this, in verse 30, says, And it came to pass that as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave unto them. And their eyes were opened after they had the bread. Their eyes are opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? We see that they had a problem with their vision, recognizing the risen Christ. Vision is very important. And after they eat the bread, which represents the Word of God, were their eyes open. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, And Jesus said unto them, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We need to have a clear vision of where we're going. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There are so many Christians that live in the past. And Paul says, listen, I don't care what happened in the past. I have a mission. I have a destination where I'm going. I forget the things that are of the past because I have a mission. I have a destination. In Luke 17, 32, Christ says, remember Lot's wife. She couldn't resist looking back, just like many of us. And the truth is, the sad truth, I must say, that many believers have no vision. They are involved, they are busy, but they have no vision. And if you ask them, what is the vision of the church? They can't tell you. They may be very busy, they may 
do a lot of things, but they don't understand vision. Their answers are usually a list of activities that they are involved in or, or that the church is involved in, in doing to help in certain areas. But as far as a vision that comes from the scriptures, they rarely can be found or articulated. Now, they may say that our mission to make, is to make disciples of Christ, but if you ask them to quantify, how is that going? How many disciples have you made? What exactly is a disciple? You will see very soon that many of them are confused about those answers. They cannot open the Bible and show you biblically what those things mean from the Scriptures. The disciples clearly had a problem with their spiritual vision. That's why they can't see the risen Christ. The destination is very important. The idea of having a spiritual vision and why we exist and where we're going and how do I fit in this picture is very important. Secondly, I want to talk about the protocol. The protocol means, simply means how are we going to communicate? Okay, I understand that there is a destination, there is a vision that comes from the scriptures, but how are we going to communicate? What is the protocol? One of the rules of Bible study is that God teaches us through types and pictures. And when he does so, he's very specific to define those and what they mean. We are not left to wonder, and we shouldn't provide any private inter interpretation that we see fit. Because the Bible says that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that, will cast, that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. The symbolism is very clear that the net represents what catches the fishes. And the fish are compared to the souls of men. Christ said, I will make you fishers of men. And the bread represents the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, but he answered uh, and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. When God uses a symbol in the Bible, he defines what that symbol is. In John chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he that cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And he said, uh, Then said they unto him, Lord, Evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto, unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Christ gave them the law. He gave them the manna, a picture of the word of God. And he is the bread of life. He, the bread represents the living word. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 11, it says, how is it that you do understand that I spake, that I spake it uh, not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They understood that how they should bathe them, not aware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When the Jews would celebrate the Passover, they were specifically told to eat unleavened bread. Because leaven in the Bible 
represents bad doctrine. If bread represents the Word of God, then leaven represents the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that were not following the Scriptures. And this is repeated again, Mark chapter 8, verse 15, it says, And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. False doctrine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? He says, don't take this lightly, because the word of God is pure. But when you mix it with false doctrine, this is a serious thing. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Some bad doctrine can lead you into very big mistakes. So be passionate about the pure bread, the unleavened bread, the pure word of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What is the problem? The problem is they were not obeying the truth. Verse 7. And then he connects that, the truth, to the opposite of what could affect the, the truth is that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So the bread represents the word of God. And the fishes represent the souls of people. Which brings me to number three. It's the port number. How are we going to communicate? What protocol are we using? And finally, where specifically are we connecting? This pattern of the net and the fishes is certainly not new to the disciples. Christ begins by calling them from the first time he met them to lay down their nets and to follow him. And the, what we see is that the, the disciples had a problem with their eyes, had a problem recognizing the risen Christ. This is not a problem new to them. When God explains to us the state of the church in the time that we live in, before the Lord returns for the rapture of the church, we are explained in the book of Revelation that this time, which is called the Laodicean church age, is characterized by Christians, believers, who have a problem with their eyes. In verse 17 of Revelation 3, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and then anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him, and he with me. We cannot get away from this symbology that God uses where he desires to dine with us. He desires that we to sup with us. And he says, church in Laodicea, beware. This is the only church that God has nothing good to say for. And he says, you have a problem with your eyes. We have a problem today in Christianity with people not seeing the risen Christ because they are not 
consuming the pure bread, the unleavened bread that God had been telling his people from the beginning when he began a relationship with the nation of Israel. When he warned them, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and Herod, religion and politics. Don't let those things spoil the pure word of God. When I first came to the States, I was my first year in college. And one day I hear that David Copperfield was coming to town to have a show, The Illusionist. Do we all know who David Copperfield is? All right. The younger generation may not because I don't know if he's done much lately. But I grew up as a kid watching some of his performances on TV. So when I heard that he was coming to town, I was very, very excited. And I told, I asked my, my friend Lee from church, my best friend from church, I said, Lee, we got to get, get tickets. We got, I, I don't know when, if ever, I'm going to have a chance to watch him live. We got to go to this thing. So we get, we're students, so of course we get the cheapest tickets in, in, a, <laughs> in the room. But who cares? You know, we're going to be in the same room and watch him live. So we get the cheapest tickets way, way, way in the back. And when we get there, our seats are taken. It really felt like Albania. It's, it's one of those things where <laughs> a few of you understand that. Anyway, we get there and, and tell the people who were sitting there, we say, I'm sorry, you are in our seat. This is our, and then they show us their, their tickets and say, no, we, we have these tickets. It's the same number. They had the same number. Somehow they had messed up the numbers and we had the same seats. They were sitting there, so the staff come over and they say, hey, what's going on? We say, hey, we have these tickets and these are the seats, but there's people. And they're like, oh, no worries, no worries, it's a problem. you got to love that about America, you know. In Albania, they'll tell you, tough luck. You know? <laughs> See you next time. Anyway, so they take us, you know, and they're like, of course, we'll accommodate you. And they take us to the second row. The most expensive seat in the house, the first row, is the staff, and they sit us on the second row. We're just a few feet away from, from, the, from the stage. And it, this, the thing went on for two hours. My jaw was dropping on the floor the whole time. I don't remember it going anywhere, but being open the whole time. It was, it was awesome. It was, it was great. One of the, the last thing that he performed is that he threw a bunch of balloons in the house and the got the music started, and the rule was that if it came to you, you had to, to kick it. You know, you couldn't just hold on to the balloon. But when the music stopped, the people that had the balloons in their hands would come to the stage. And I guess the idea was that it wasn't prepared beforehand. The people weren't picked. It was just random, right? Just to prove that it was randomly done. And so that's what happened. And one of the balloons was right next to the man who was, the young man who was sitting right next to us, and he he took the, the balloon and he went up on stage and it was like a, a, a train a wagon type thing. And so the 20 people from the audience, he came forward on the stage, he sat them down, had them facing the, the, the audience, and he gave them flashlights and then put a cover on top of the whole, the whole thing. I don't know why they always got to do the cover thing. I'm like, if you're really doing the magic, why are you covering? I want to see what's going on. But, but he did that, you know, so he would flip it up and, and, and down. So we saw that they were still there. They had flashlights, you know, against the, the cloth they had put in front. And at a certain point, 
he raises the, 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 the cloth, and he's like, you guys still here? And they're like, yeah, we're still here. And then with the flashlights, he pulls it down, and the whole thing disappears. The whole thing disappears from the stage. We were left, I mean, I was shocked. I was just like, wow, this is awesome. And, and it ended like that. He didn't bring them back. <laughs> that, that's how it ended. He said, I didn't promise to bring them back. I promised they would disappear, and they did. So he, we hung out afterwards, and we see the guy that was sitting next to us in, out in the parking lot. So we are going out there, and we meet him and say, hey, tell us what's going on. Did you notice anything? He's like, I have no idea what, what went on. No clue. Here we are in a second, in a moment, you know, with the flashlights. He's talking to us. Next thing we know, we're backstage. We didn't feel anything. Nobody said anything. Nothing moved. Nothing shook. I don't know what happened. I mean, I was absolutely amazed. This went on for days and days, just thinking about, wow, how did he do that? How did he did this piece and this piece? And this was like one of the greatest pieces, but he had other pieces for two hours straight. I was amazed. And then it dawned on me. Everything that I had experienced was an illusion. Everything was a lie. My eyes had been fooled to think that what I was seeing was the end of the performance, whatever he was performing. The truth is, he didn't, he didn't change anything. I don't know how he does it, but he's not going against the laws of, of, of physics. <laughs> Everything that he performed, which was great, was an illusion. Our physical eyes can be fooled. And we can live in a reality when we see, when we think we see. We might even enjoy it. We might go on for days and days and weeks and talk about how great life is on this earth and how our, we appreciate what we see with our eyes. But the truth is, if we don't have spiritual eyes, we can be easily deceived. Our physical eyes are not capable of discerning the spiritual eyes. We need the bread of life to open our spiritual eyes so we can see. And so many Christians go through life thinking that they see, but if you don't have a relationship with the Word, you do not see. And Jesus speaking to us in the last days, He says, you have a problem with your eyes. I desire to come and sup with you. I want, I want to have dinner with you. I want to have a close relationship with you. I want us to eat together, to enjoy our fellowship. But that cannot happen apart from the Word of God. We need a port number. We need to be connected to the body of Christ, to the local church. That's how God works. We see this pattern repeated over and over and over again. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we see that he made a lot of miracles. He healed the sick. He cleaned, cleansed the leopard of their leprosy. He resurrected the dead. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He set people free from demon possession. He did all these kinds of miracles. But out of all the miracles that Jesus did, he only multiplied two things. The Word of God, the bread, and the fishes. And after he resurrected, he continues his work with the early church. And he is present there. 
He brings the Holy Spirit down. And in the book of Acts, we see that only two things are multiplied. The disciples and the churches, the fish, and the Word of God, the bread. The Bible begins with the word multiply being used the first time in Genesis 1 when God talks about the living creatures in the waters. Let them be multiplied. The fishes. And the Bible ends the last thing that is multiplied in the Bible. The last thing multiplied is found in the book of Acts. Chapter 12 and verse 24. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Now there are Greetings after Acts chapter 12, where the authors would say, may grace and peace be multiplied unto you. But the last record of something being multiplied in the Bible is the Word of God. The Word of God grew and multiplied. You can't miss this thing if you go to the Bible. The symbolism that God is used is very clear. From the beginning to the end, He only multiplies two things. He is interested in only those two things above anything else, the bread and the fish. It is something that can be understood in every culture. It's very simple to understand and it's very clearly defined in the scriptures of what it means. God has put forth very simple truths that anyone in any time period in any continent can understand the bread and the fish. And he uses these symbols to teach us profound truths about our relationship to him and our mission for today. Now, why did I call it net 3.0? Because net 1.0 is when he first met his disciples. And they laid down their nets and he multiplied the fishes. Net 2.0 is John chapter 21, when the fishes were multiplied. Net 3.0 is us. God's mission has not changed. He is interested in the Word of God being multiplied. He is interested in us being active in catching the fish for Him, bringing people, lost people into the net. We saw that the kingdom is like a net. You can't miss this if you go to God's Word. We have a charge. We have a mission. We have a destination. It's clear where where we should be looking forward to, where our eyes should be focused on. We have a protocol. God defines in His Word what everything means. What language should we speak? It's all in the Bible. And we need a port number. We need to be hooked to His body, to the local church, to be involved so our spiritual eyes cannot be deceived by the leaven of the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, religious people who may look great but are not teaching the Bible correctly. And by Herod, politics, which tie people to earthly kingdoms and not the kingdom to come. May our eyes be opened. And may we say tonight, Lord, use me to have the word of God multiplied in this city and around the world. Help me to be plugged in whatever you're doing in this place because I want to be a part of that. I want you to use me to multiply your word and to multiply the disciples of Christ around the world. And I think if we take God seriously at his word, 
we will see the risen Christ.